We're going to turn this morning to John chapter 19, beginning with verse 28. I realize your notes say 38, but uh, not my fault that they put the two and the three side by side on the typewriter. (laughs) And uh, so we're going to start with verse 28 there today. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished in order that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. I, I did want 38. All right. That's smarter than I realized. <laughs> okay, verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, be, being a secret disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted him permission. He came, therefore, and took away his body. And Nicodemus came also, who had first come to him by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and a hundred-pound weight. So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, on account of the Jewish day of preparation, because the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb, while it was still dark, and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter, to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter therefore also came following him and entered the tomb, and he beheld the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered there also and saw and believed. As yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. Aristotle the philosopher called death the thing the feared to be feared the most he said because it appears to be the end of everything kind of a sad view of life isn't it to think suddenly it's going to be over jean paul sarté asserted that death removes all meaning from life and one of our most outspoken agnostics in america robert ingersoll said or, or could offer no hope at it the brother at his brother's funeral he said these words life is a narrow veil between the cold and barren peaks of two eternities we strive in vain to look beyond the heights french philosopher francois ribolis was equally cold in his statement he said i am going to the great perhaps what a sad way to live what what, what a tragedy when we realize that jesus christ is risen risen from the dead today. And yet, as I say that, I realize that probably all of us at times wrestle with questions concerning death. Not that we are afraid of death, but we're afraid of the process. We we don't look forward to, to what we have to go to, but we have that faith and that hope that there is something beyond the grave. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, Now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three, But the greatest of these is love. That 
faith and that hope that we have today of eternal life is based upon the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus confronted death for us. He conquered death. And he was able to say, because I live, you shall live also. And that's what we celebrate today as we remember Resurrection Sunday. We're looking ahead to the day when we're going to be resurrected and be with Christ in eternity. As, as I looked at the account here today that we read from John, the first thing we see here is the reality of death. Now, I'm going to combine several of the accounts together here. If you read all four Gospels, you get the full story there. But in verse 38, we have the story of Joseph and Nicodemus, secret followers of Jesus Christ. As they watched the crucifixion, they watched their Lord die, they decided to take a stand. We can only speculate why, because he was dead. And yet, perhaps because they were fed up with the politics of the day, the actions and the attitudes of the Sanhedrin, frustrated with what was going on, they went to Pilate and they asked for the body of Jesus. John gives us the condensed version, but if you read Mark's gospel, Pilate was amazed to think he was dead already. And so he sent the centurions to make sure, and they, they put that spear in his side, and the, the water and the blood flow out and so forth. And they come back and they report to him, he is truly dead. It was unusual that someone would die that quick on the cross. Just a few short hours and, and he, was, he was finished. Usually it would take either a long hours or sometimes even days that they would spend on the cross. And and yet he was not dead. The, the centurions were battle-hardened soldiers. They were ones who knew death when they saw it. And they were convinced that here was one who had died. There was no doubt in their minds. And so Pilate grants permission to take the body. An unusual request. And very seldom would it be granted at this point in time because Rome liked to leave the criminals hanging on the cross uh, so that others looking would take warning and not dare to defy Rome. And, and many times they would leave them there until the birds ate away the flesh or until they needed the, the cross for somebody else, in which case they would take the body down and throw it on the trash heap. It was just garbage as far as they were concerned. And yet here were two prominent individuals that asked if they could give the body a decent burial. We can only speculate on why Pilate allowed that. I can't help but think that Pilate had a guilty conscience. He had condemned to death an innocent man. He knew he was innocent. He said, I find no fault in this man. And, and even though he went through the sham of symbolically washing his hands and, and saying his guilt's upon your hands, he knew deep down in his heart that he should have done something different, that he should have released this prisoner. And no amount of hand washing was going to allay the, the guilt that was upon his conscience at that point. But the fact of the matter is, he knew, and so did the soldiers, that Jesus had died. That was the reality of death. That brings us to the finality of death. They take the body, they anoint it with the spices that they had prepared, they wrap it in linen, and they place it in a tomb. Now, a little bit different than what we do today with when someone dies, uh, we are so far sometimes removed from the death process. We call the undertaker. They come and, and uh, 
take care of it all for us there. But in, in this case, they, they would take a body, put it in a tomb, and inside the tomb there was sometimes one, sometimes two small rooms. Uh, there was a table there in which they would lay the, the body after it had been wrapped there, and then eventually after it had gone through the process of decay, they would get a little box to put the bones in and put it in the back of the tomb. That way you could use it over and over again. A lot smarter than what we are today. We have to buy our own burial places, and, and uh, only one person could be put in them there. But but they, they had the system worked out where they, they could save that that process. They took the body, they placed it, they rolled the stone in place. Not just a little stone now. Those stones were probably two to 300 pounds in, in weight, about five feet across. They would roll down a, a slight increase Klein in front of the doorway, and it would take a couple men to roll that stone back up again so that you could go in and out of, of the tomb. That's why the women were concerned as they approached the tomb. They said, who's going to roll away the stone for us? This was not just a small object there. You're going to roll it, not downhill. You're going to roll it uphill. And uh, so it, it demanded some help on their, their part. They took a, a seal, put the Roman seal on it. They set guards in place. This was to be the end for Christ. This was to be the end of the incident of a so-called Messiah. It was until the women came to say their final goodbyes. They were going to pay their respects. They were going to do what you ladies wrestled with all week, or some of you ladies did. Didn't think the men could do it, did you? (laughs) And uh, here Nicodemus and Joseph have, have taken care of this already, but they weren't sure that the men did it right. So they were coming to make to, to do it again and to make sure it was done right. They came expecting to find a dead body. Arden Mead, in writing about that in a devotional book on daily Lenten prayer, said this, O oh Lord, I have stood before enough graves to know how serious a question this is. The question is, who will roll away the stone? And how impossible. I have wept until I had no more tears, but the graves of those who I had loved and lost stayed closed. They were dead. One of the most difficult and necessary points of grief is realizing just that. This is permanent. No one will call and say there was a sad mistake. My loved one isn't really dead. No one can roll (coughs) that stone away and make it all the way it was before. And the way that I wish it were again, no Death is permanent. At least it was. And then Jesus steps into the picture here. That leads to the defeat of death. We see that clearly here in verse in chapter 20 there. The tomb was empty. The grave clothes were there. The grave cloth was rolled up and, and lying there. But Christ was gone. You read the other Gospels, you will find not only that, but there were the angels that were there. They came and rolled away the stone, celebrated the the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Someone wrote, on Calvary, men had their fling at saying no to God. But very early in the morning, the first day of the week, it was God's turn. He said no to the judgment hall where Pilate had condemned Jesus. He said no to the hill where the soldiers were crucified. He said no to the grave where Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea helped to lay him. He said no to the seal that had shut him in, and he said no to the guard that stood watch. You see, God has the final say. It wasn't man. It was God that was orchestrating 
these events. I think of the song so many of you are familiar with entitled, Then Comes the Morning. What a, what a difference a morning made. We, we had a, a sunrise service and, and uh, most of us were awake, but quite, several of you sitting there were half asleep. Uh, then came the morning. Then came not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N, rising from the, the grave. What a tremendous truth that is. Paul said he died for our sins. He was raised in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, for our justification. So that you and I could have a right relationship with God, so that you and I could be brought into a, a relationship with Jesus Christ himself. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, Paul says, If we have hope in this life only in Christ, we are of all men most miserable or most to be pitied there. But he goes on to say, but now, in verse 20, Christ is risen from the dead. The first fruits of those who sleep. Now, where did we hear that this morning? First fruits. The puppets. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't sure whether it was Danny or the puppets that gave us the... The puppets, the first fruits there. That's what we celebrate. He's the first fruit. He said in John chapter 14, verse 10, because I live, you shall live also. There is the hope of the resurrection there because he lives. First Corinthians 15 says, we're going to be changed. We're going to be transformed. We're going to be brought into a, a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Dwight L. Moody, shortly before he died, said these words, Someday you'll read in the newspaper that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe one word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that's all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit lives forever. What a tremendous view of death. He realized that, yes, it was approaching, but praise the Lord, it was the entrance to glory for the child of God. Because Christ went to the cross. He could say, where is the sting of death? It's gone. It's removed. Jesus Christ has made it possible for us to have eternal life. God made that promise in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. Jesus on one occasion said, you know what? Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. I willingly give it. It wasn't Rome. When the film The Passion came out, there was a, a lot of concern that it was going to raise anti-Semitic feelings and so forth and problems. There, there's a disclaimer at the beginning of it that says it wasn't the Jews. It wasn't Pilate that crucified Jesus Christ. They were just the tools that God used in the process. It was Jesus that willingly gave his life, willingly went to the cross. He could have prevented that. He could have called the angels from heaven to defend himself. But he came in love so that if we believe in him, he goes on to say, we will have eternal life. He has made that a reality for us today. John chapter 3, verse 36, He that hath the Son hath life. Do you know today 
that you have eternal life? Are you convinced in your heart that if this was your final day here on earth, that you would be with Christ in eternity? Ezekiel chapter 18, twice in that chapter, he says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And then add to that Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you know who's included in that little word all? You and I, whether we like to realize it or not, we are included in that particular verse. But praise the Lord, that's not the end of the story. Romans 6.23 goes on to say, uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? It's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In in chapter 5 of Romans, verse 8, he goes on to say, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Went to the cross, gave his life so that we could have eternal life. And what he expects of us is found in chapter 10 of Romans, where in verse 9 he says, wrong verse. He says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. I think of the story of the street evangelist on the streets of London that was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as so often happens in a public place like that, there were those that would heckle, laugh, make fun of him. One individual was very obnoxious and got closer and closer. And and in mockery, he says, what must I do to be saved? The evangelist looked at him, and he said, I'm sorry, my friend, it's too late. Suddenly, it wasn't a joke any longer. This man was suddenly got upset. He said, what do you mean it's too late? What, what must I do to be saved? He said, I'm sorry. There's nothing you can do to be saved. Jesus did it all, paid for it on the cross. Uh, and all he expects of us is to accept that free gift that he offers to us. As we think of Good Friday, resurrection morning, we're well aware of the fact that death stalks all of us. We're all headed that direction. As, as someone has said, the uh, death rate is one out of one. Nobody's going to get out of here alive unless the rapture occurs. Uh, sooner or later, we, we come to that point where we realize our t- time has, has come. But praise the Lord, we can know that there is a future beyond the grave. We can have that hope of eternal life. Why? Because Jesus Christ went to the cross, gave himself for us, and rose from the dead so that he could honestly say, because I live, you will live also. Have you experienced that hope, that faith? Have you exercised faith in Jesus Christ? Have you come to the place where you realize, I can't do this alone? I need someone to be my Savior. Have you asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sin, to come into your life, to cleanse you, to to make you a part of his family? Do you have that hope today of life beyond the grave? You can. It's reality, but it waits for you to make that choice, that decision. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? If you haven't, we'd like to invite you to do that this morning. 
if, if you're not sure of your salvation, not sure what would happen if you were suddenly to die today, see me afterwards. We'll meet together and we'll share with you how you can come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the reality of the resurrection. What a joy and what a delight it is to be able to say, Christ the Lord is risen today. Because in that statement is the reality that someday we have the hope of being resurrected and spending eternity in glory with Jesus Christ. Give us the faith to believe that. And Father, if there's someone here that hasn't made that profession of faith in Jesus Christ, give them the courage to recognize they need to do that. And to do that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name.